those of you that have been following us, you know that this is our final week in our Summer in the Psalms series. And while we regret that we are unable to bring you the recording from our Crossroads worship gathering, we are excited that we are able to offer the message that Pastor Jeff McLean preached in our sanctuary services. This is both the final Sunday in our series as we look at Psalm 23 and Jeff's final message as a member of our pastoral staff as he prepares to transition into what God has next for him. We believe that you will be richly blessed by this message. does one say at their final sermon? I've struggled with that this week, and I appreciate each one of your prayers and, uh, and messages of encouragement and, and thankfulness for, for me and my family and my ministry. Um, what a privilege and honor it's been here to, to be here uh, for these last 10, 11 years counting Blackburns. I'm so grateful uh, for each and every one of you. My heart is so full feels a little bit unfair to make me preach after watching all of that, um, <laughs> but I am grateful. Uh, so what does one preach in, in a final sermon? Uh, fortunately, most preachers only really have one sermon. So you're going to hear a, another edition of the sermon that I've been preaching the last 10 years and that I'll keep preaching uh, for the rest of my life, um, and that is this. God is with us, and you are loved. Amen. I mean, that really is it. Like, that's, that's really all there is. <laughs> um, oh, my. My family uh, had an opportunity to vacation in Michigan this past week, and uh, past two weeks, actually. We were in a couple different places, but had such an amazing time uh, visiting with family and, and friends and just enjoying the, the goodness that is the state of Michigan. If you've never been there, particularly in the summer, I um, invite you to, to go check it out sometime. It's beautiful. We had so much fun being there, and just because partly, I mean, that's where I was born and raised, and that's a, it's a place that is familiar to me. It's a place that uh, feels comfortable. It's a place where I feel at home when I'm there, and so I'm just, I was so grateful to, to be there, and it was, it's a place where y- you know this, right? You have these places. Maybe it's your home. It's also my home here in Boone. It feels the same way. It's, it's, it's great to be here. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of familiarity. It's a place where we know that Everything's going to be okay. And it was such a joy for me to be able to watch my kids uh, hanging out at my, at my dad's house and to be able to just watch them, just them to feel at home, for them to just run around and act like they owned the place and hang out in the, in the tree fort and run around in the yard and, and hang out at the beach and, and play with their cousins and, and eat all kinds of really bad food and, and enjoy it and love it. Just the endless joy that they had um, was a joy for me to observe as they were running around and just enjoying being at the place that I called home when I was their age. And sometimes uh, experiences can help us feel like we're at home as well. I remember when I went to college, it took me a little while to kind of get settled into the routine of, of what college life was like. It was the first time I was on my own, and it took me a little while to, to find my way into the doors of a church. But when I did, I remember walking in, and I remember sitting in the pew, and I remember having to hold on 
tightly to the pew as we, uh, as we sang those first hymns together, those, those songs that had been so ingrained in my heart, uh, having grown up in the church, that place of, of familiarity. I felt, again, like I was at home in that church. And I know many of you have felt like that in this church and other churches. I know many of you feel that way when you come here and visit. And if you're here for the first time today, I hope that this feels like home and I hope it becomes that for you in the days and years to come. I know that many of you experienced that coming back from the pandemic when we weren't able to gather in this space, right? The first time we came back, there were lots of tears of people just feeling like, oh, I'm so glad to be home again. Scripture can feel that way too. It can feel like home, especially familiar scripture that we've heard maybe many times in our lives. And that's where we find ourselves this morning, as we've heard already a couple of beautiful renditions of Psalm 23. Um, This is the the last sermon in our summer sermon series. I hope that you've enjoyed reading the Psalms together with us this summer and just enjoyed praying through them, meditating on them, listening for what God might have to say to you through them. This morning, we're going to conclude, as I said, with Psalm 23. And uh, it's one of the most well-known ones, one of the most beautiful ones. And I have a feeling that if you, like me, if you grew up in church or if you were around church, even if you haven't been, this is the passage you've heard before. I also have a feeling that if you did grow up in church, you might have memorized this psalm as a part of your confirmation class or as a part of your spiritual formation somewhere along the way. And if you're like me, there's a good chance, uh, if, you're, if you've got gray hair like me and, and maybe a little bit more, uh, or maybe a little bit less, um, you might have remembered reading this and memorizing it from the King James Version. And so my last Sunday, we're going to go old school today. We're going to, I mean, it's not that old. It's like 1600s, but it's still, it's, it's a lot older than today. Um, so let's do that. We're going to read from the King James Version, Psalm 23 today. I invite you to, to join me. Would you stand as we read this psalm together? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me, in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As I said, this is a psalm that is familiar to many of us. We've heard it a lot of times at funerals, but, uh, the, the, and that's a good place for it because it brings us comfort, reminds us who we are and how we belong to God and how God meets all of our needs. But those are things that we need to hear every day, whether at a funeral or not. And so these are really instructions for living as well, for being at home in God. It starts off in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. And in ancient, uh, in ancient times, kings were known as shepherds of their people. And so to say that the Lord is my shepherd was to say that God is my king. God is my primary allegiance. The kingdom that I belong to 
is not of any particular nationality, but it's of God. It's of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means. Kings were charged with taking care of their people, right? And so to say the Lord is my shepherd is, is trusting God and God alone to take care of me. Walter Brueggemann points out that Psalm 23 starts and it ends with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. It's a reminder to us of God's presence through every single minute of our lives, through every breath that we take. The Lord gives it to us and is with us through it all, as we just sang. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Another translation, another way to say that is I lack nothing. I've got everything that I need in God. What a different message from what we're often told, right? As we, I don't know, just live in the world, right? And we see billboards and we see things on our phone and we see advertisements and all these other things uh, that, that people tell us that we're not good enough in some way or we're, we're incomplete in some way or we're missing something. People are always trying to have us buy new products or do, do something else, right? We're not, we're not enough. But what this says is, in God, we have everything that we need. We are not lacking anything. It's reflective of a, a passage in, in Deuteronomy. It's reminding us of, of when God rescued Israel from slavery. And they came out of slavery and into the promised land. And God said to them, you have not lacked a thing. It reminds us also of Jesus when he said, don't worry. Don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear. God knows you need all these things. And God will provide them. But seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Verse 2 makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters. It tells us exactly what Jesus said. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. God will provide I imagine as you hear this, this text, uh, as I do, I, I imagine when I hear about uh, the green pastures and, and the still waters, I have this, this sort of pastoral imagery in mind, right? This beautiful kind of lush carpet-like grass uh, all over the place and, and, and maybe this little tiny meandering stream kind of wandering through it, right? That's the, the image that I get when I hear, make you lie down in green pastures, lead me beside still waters. The interesting thing is, it's not exactly the image that David is ascribed to this psalm as the, as the writer. Not exactly the kind of uh, shepherding that was David's experience. Remember, King David started out as a shepherd. And in, in, in his area in Judea, in the wilderness, this is typically where they brought the sheep uh, to, be, uh, to be fed and to be pastured. And, and it looks kind of like this. It looks something different than the picture in our mind. That's the desert in, in Judea where shepherds are often found, even to this day, leading their sheep to places to eat and to drink. Looks a little different <laughs> than what we had in our head, right? But the reality is there, there are little tufts of grass, and you can kind of see them uh, throughout there that are growing. And this is the shepherd's job. They need to be uh, resourceful. They need to be able to, to figure out where can I take them in the middle of this, what looks like a place of want. The shepherd's job is to make sure that they do not want, right? And so he'll lead them from one tuft of grass to the next, and, and it's important that the shepherd is engaged in that process, because otherwise the sheep might just follow the grass off into danger. That's why it says in the next verse, he, he leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads us, God, as our shepherd, leads us out of danger, into places of shelter, and into God's presence. All of these things are ways that God, as it says next, restores our souls, or keeps us 
alive. I mentioned that I had a chance to vacation with my family in Michigan, and um, here's a picture of some of our, one of our vacation stops. We went to northern Michigan uh, to a place called Sleeping Bear Dunes, and it's kind of hard to get perspective on that picture uh, by just looking at it from the screen, but where we're standing is at the top of this huge sand dune that's about 450 feet above the water that you see in the background there, that blue, beautiful blue-green water in the background. We're about 450 feet above, and it goes uh, kind of straight down, pretty much. <laughs> some of you, I see some head nods. Maybe you've been there before. Uh, it's a beautiful place. Again, if you get a chance, check it out. Sleeping Bear Dunes is, is a magnificent place. It takes about, you know, give or take, uh, depending on your mobility, about two minutes, maybe three minutes to go straight down. I mean, you might go faster if you decide to maybe tumble or do somersaults. I don't know. James did one or two somersaults, but he kept going. It was awesome. Um, Carrie was not so sure that was a good idea as a, as a parent. Um, are we sure we want to do this? And yes, we do. Um, it takes you about two minutes to get down, but it takes you about 30 minutes or more to get back up. Because like I said, it's just, it's a straight incline and it's, and it's straight down. It's 450 feet. As we were walking down, uh, we were just, I, I was like, in heaven. I'm like basically like skiing or like jumping down like from one place to the next like as you're going through this really thick sand and it's just it was so much fun and I'd see these people who were making their way back up and I'd ask them hey uh, is it worth it? Every single one that I asked said no. <laughs> one guy was just flat out like laying on his back he was like oh no I made a bad choice. <laughs> but I knew I'd been down there before I knew that it was worth it. Uh, probably the biggest insult to injury, though, is as we were, as we, sorry, let me back up. As we, as we keep climbing, I'm like, no, we're going to persist, because I know that it's awesome when we get down to the water. It's going to be so much fun. It was a beautiful day. Uh, as you saw, the sky was blue. It was about 80 degrees or so, 85 degrees. It was wonderful. Got down to the water. It was nice and cool. We jumped in. We just splashed around, had a great time, and enjoyed it. And, and then it was time to go back up. And, uh, and yeah, that was, a, that was a bit of a workout. My kids led the way like champs. Like, I didn't even catch them. They were ahead of me the whole time. I'm really proud of them for that. I thought for sure I was going to have a request or two or three uh, to carry somebody up the hill, but not a one. Um, I will say, though, the one thing that was difficult to hear, uh, Carrie and I wanted to make sure that we got credit for this uh, workout that we were doing, right, to climb up that hill. So we set our watches to make sure that our watches knew that we were doing some, some exercise here. And, and partway up, our watches both asked us, uh, are you still working out? I was like, are you kidding me? Like, do you see this, what we're, do- <laughs> what we're doing here? <laughs> yes, I'm still working out, slowly. What we found as we walked up the hill, it, there was no other, there was no meandering path. You had to go straight up. Uh, there was no easy way to get up. The easiest thing we could do is to follow in the footsteps of somebody who had gone before us. Because it smashed the, the sand down just a little bit, made it a little bit easier to step from one place to the next and got us up there just a little bit quicker. The psalm says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. It's, it's getting at that idea that the shepherd leads the sheep, leads us, God leads us in the way that we are to go. And sometimes it's not a straight path. Sometimes it's not an easy path. The Hebrew word, in fact, for path in this passage is the same word that's used to describe someone who's walking in circles. He leads me in paths that, that might not be straight, but they'll be good. And we might experience some wandering from here to there. It might not be a straight path. And if you look at this picture of the paths on the hillsides in Judea, you can see the areas where the sheep have worn 
their paths all around. You see those ridges all the way? Those are the, the product of hundreds of years and thousands of sheep, millions probably, walking those paths because you couldn't just walk straight up like we did at the beach. You had to, you had to walk kind of in a circle around the mountain to experience all of the goodness that was there, all of the tufts of grass that were available along the way. You had to walk a path that was kind of winding and circuitous up to the very top of the mountain. And the shepherd's job was to lead the sheep up to the top and back down again safely. But it's not a straight path. It's a meandering path. I listened to a a teaching this week by Rob Bell. It was fantastic, called Find Me a Straight River. Find me a straight river. There is no such thing, right? There's not a single river on earth that is straight. Every single one of them winds here and there and back and forth as it progresses on its journey. I love the author Wendell Berry, and uh, he's written several books. Uh, some of them are, are novels. One of them is called Jaber Crow, and this, is, this was one of my favorites about a guy who uh, became a barber in a small town, and it's about life uh, in, in that setting. And he talks about his path to, to discovering who he was, Jaber Crow does, and he says this. It's a bit of a long quote, so uh, stick with me, but I like it. Jaber Crow says this. He says, if you could do it, I suppose it would be a good idea to live your life in a straight line, starting, say, in the dark wood of error and proceeding by logical steps through hell and purgatory and into heaven. Or you could take the king's highway, past the appropriately named dangers, toils, and snares, and finally cross the river of death and enter into the celestial city. But that's not the way that I have done it so far. I'm a pilgrim, but my pilgrimage has been wandering and unmarked. Often what has looked like a straight line to me has been a circling or a doubling back. I've been in the dark wood of error any number of times. I've known something of hell and purgatory and heaven, but not always in that order. The names of many snares and dangers have been made known to me, but I've seen them only in looking back. Often I've not known where I was going until I was already there. I've had my share of desires and goals, but my life has come to me or I have gone to it mainly by way of mistakes and surprises. Often I've received better than I deserved. Often my fairest hopes have rested on bad mistakes. I'm an ignorant pilgrim crossing a dark valley, and yet, for a long time, looking back, I have been unable to shake off the feeling that I have been led. Make of that what you will. Perhaps you resonate with some of that journey story. I know I do. My path has not been a straight one. Some of you know uh, my path to this place uh, has not been anything but straight. It's been more of the the kind of winding and curving up a mountain road. Uh, I started off in my career as a, well, I started off as a paper boy. That was my first job. That was a fantastic job, and I'm sorry that my kids won't get to deliver newspapers because that was amazing. Um, But then I became a software engineer out of college, and I worked for a software company for a while, and then I worked as a consultant and taught classes around the country and, and enjoyed that. Uh, and then I became a, 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 I felt like the next thing for me was to move closer to my house and, and, and where I was raised in Michigan. And I, so I became a, a manager at a manufacturing company. And then very naturally, like following that line of progression from, from paper boy to software engineer to manufacturing, I became a pastor. Um, not a straight path, right? Not exactly. But God led the whole way. There was a constant invitation by God to, there is more. Hey, keep, keep coming. Take Take another step. And I know a lot of you are wondering, what is the next step for me? And 
I'm still figuring that out. I'm still taking steps as we go. But I know this. I know that, uh, that I'm passionate about helping people listen to and respond to God's invitations in their lives. I, and so in this next chapter, I'm going to be working with spiritual, the ministry of spiritual direction, helping people discern what God is doing in their lives. How is God moving? How is God inviting them to new things? Uh, my wife and I are going to be offering retreats on the, on the Christmas tree farm in Ash County. I hope that some of you will come and participate in those. A place of respite, a place of rest, a place of growth and learning and, and just being in God's presence. Uh, we'd like to invite you to that. Stay, stay tuned for more about that. I've also just uh, started training to become a leadership coach to help people through these seasons of twists and turns and discerning where is God active in my life? Where is God inviting me to next? So I don't know exactly what the path is going to look like, but I'm pretty sure it's going to look like this, right? The, the way that it has looked these many years, back and forth, wandering, being led by God. In order to do that, I've had to develop this practice of listening as a spiritual practice, and I hope that you've had a chance to do that uh, through our time together, and I hope you'll continue to do that as well, especially this summer as we read through the Psalms, listening to what God says to us. I love this. Eugene Peterson um, is one of my favorite pastors who, who ever lived, and he had a habit of memorizing Psalms, and he would pick seven Psalms for a particular season in his life, and, and he would memorize a Psalm for each day of the week, and he'd wake up in the morning, and he would, he would recite that Psalm from memory, and that was his way that he kind of started his day, and then for the rest of the day, he would listen back to hear what those words of God might have to say to him throughout the rest of the day. That's a beautiful practice for discerning God's voice, right? Jesus tells us that I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. Peterson talks about the importance of of prayer and listening together. He was influenced greatly um, by Karl Barth and he said this about listening and prayer. Eugene Peterson said, I think the listening business is part of prayer that gets most neglected. And plenty of people have, have taught me this, but one of my best teachers for me has been Karl Barth, and he's, he's just adamant about, Peterson says this, when you pray, you don't ask God for things. You pray to listen. And then, when you've listened, you can hear God speak and take you into paths that you've never thought about. When you listen, you hear God speak and take you into paths that you've never thought about. God leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then we get to the center of this psalm, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. The, the, the valley of the shadow of death, that literally is, is described in Hebrew as a, as a deep shadow, as, as total and complete darkness, a place where there is no light, no hope, you feel separated in that place. You feel alone. Again, I imagine many of us have felt that over the course of our lives, and particularly in the last three years as we've dealt with COVID. But even in this place, and maybe even especially so, God is with us. This is the center point of this entire Psalm. James Lindbergh points out that in the original Hebrew of Psalm 23, there are exactly 26 words before and after the words, Thou art with me. James Howell says this, God is with us. We are not alone down here. The whole gospel is that God is with us. 
Jesus was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. John Wesley's dying words were, the best of all is, God is with us. God doesn't shelter us from trouble. God doesn't magically manipulate everything to suit us. But the glorious with is unassailable, unchangeable, the only fact that matters. God is with us. Thou art with me. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and he fulfills everything that we hear in Psalm 23 with his life and death and resurrection. He does everything that a good shepherd does on our behalf. He, he feeds 5,000 people. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, come all who are thirsty, and I'll give you living water. Jesus is the light of the world that destroyed the shadow of death forever on our behalf. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, even though I walk through the valley. Friends, I don't know what valleys you are experiencing today, but I do know that the center of this psalm the foundation that all of the gospel rests on is that God is with us through it all. Through it all. It's been my absolute honor to be your pastor these last 10 years. It's been my privilege to sit with so many of you through not only the joys, but especially through the valleys of life. Thank you for trusting me with your hearts in those moments. Dealing with unexpected job transitions. I've, I've sat with those of you navigating family issues and broken relationships and questions about how do I raise kids and what do I do with, with this relationship that's broken. People receiving and, and processing difficult and impossible health diagnoses. <clears throat> People caring for loved ones and celebrating their lives together when they pass. Watching people and pastors transition in and out of this place. Through it all, we were able to remind each other that God is with us. God is with us. Friends, if you hear nothing else today, hear that good news. God is with us. As the psalm says, for thou art with me. Will you say that with me? Thou art with me. I was going to look at the clock, but you know, if I go long, what are you going to fire me? Like, I don't know. <laughs> we are going long. But I will skip to, uh... no, I'm not. I'm not going to skip. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I think the thing that's so interesting about this is that God is always inviting people, even people that we least expect, to join the banquet of life abundant in Christ. God is always inviting more and more people, everyone, to join Abundant living, just as our, our mission says, right? Inviting all to discover life in Christ. God prepares a table, a, a feast of abundance. A lot of people believe that Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 were supposed to be read together in conjunction. 
Psalm 22 is the one that Jesus proclaimed from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it goes on to say some other things. At the end, it says this, verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Did you hear that? All of the people and all of the nations will proclaim God's righteousness. Jesus, when he says he's the good shepherd and he lays down his life for the sheep, he says something else that's curious. He says, I have other sheep that you don't know about. And guess what? They're invited too. They're invited as well to experience God's love and God's presence and God's goodness and God's mercy. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy will follow me. The, the translation there, follow me, it's really about pursuing. It's, it's stronger than follow. It's pursuing. God is going to pursue us for the rest of our lives with goodness and righteousness and love and mercy. That never-ending, has said is the word, never-ending, extravagant, pursuing, uh, no matter what we do, kind of running after us, love, always. This week, as I was uh, reflecting on what to say and what message God had for us this, this week in this psalm, I, I spent some time in my yard. Uh, we have a, a swing that's attached to a tree, and it, it, it's just a great place to sit and just enjoy being outside. And I was sitting, and I was listening, and I was praying, and I was thinking. And as I was sitting there, I, I noticed kind of in the, in the, out of the corner of my eye this, this, this bush uh, in my neighbor's yard. And it was a beautiful bush. It's got all these purple buds on it right now, and there were tons of butterflies flying around it. And I tried to capture like a picture with all of them, but it just, I'm not a photographer, so it didn't work out. Um, but I got one of them. But there were dozens and dozens of butterflies just hanging around this bush. Just, just enjoying being there. And, and what had occurred to me as I saw that was that it took intentionality to provide that space for the butterflies, right? It took my neighbor deciding to plant this. It's actually called a butterfly bush. It's something I learned this week. Um, you plant these things, and then the butterflies show up. It's a way of participating in creation in a way that invites space for, for new creation all the time to just enjoy, to be present, to be at home. And I asked my neighbor about it, and she told me, yeah, it's a butterfly bush. And I said, where'd you get it? And she said, well, I was on a, I was on a run one day or a walk, and I was downtown on, on Depot Street, and I saw this little tiny piece of the bush growing out of the cracks of the concrete. And I dug it up carefully, and I brought it home. And now the thing is wider than the pulpit. And like I said, it's a home <laughs> for all of these butterflies that wouldn't have otherwise had a place. And I thought, isn't that a beautiful image for the church? Friends, this is what we are invited to when God says, I am with you, we're invited to find people, to, to be the people who are in the shadows and who can say, but I know the light. I have seen it. I have experienced God's love. The Psalms are full of that. Come and see what the Lord has done for me. This church is a place that invites broken people to come and experience what it feels like to be home to be a part of a family, to have people to walk through life with and experience the joys and the valleys together. 
knowing that we are all part of God's kingdom. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of what Jesus has done, he has opened the door. He has torn down the veil. He has shed light on the shadow of death and made it flee in order that we might experience abundant life in God's presence. We might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isaac Watts has a poem, a hymn, that that sets this psalm beautifully. Called, My Shepherd Will Supply My Need. And it says this, The sure provisions of my God attend me all my days. O may your house be my abode, and all my work be praise. There would I find a settled rest, while others go and come, no more a stranger or a guest, but like a child at home. Friends, that's our invitation today. That's what we are called to be. We are called to be children of God, to know that we are loved by God, each and every one of us, to know that each of us are invited to be a part of God's kingdom, to to participate in God's never-ending, never-failing, always pursuing mercy and goodness and love. I know that you know people who are in need of that invitation, who are in need of that space, who need a place like this. Will you share with them what it feels like to be home? And may God bless you as you do that.